Let's go to Brian Fantana, live on the scene with a Channel 4 News exclusive. Brian? And to watch. The mood is tense. I have been on some serious, serious reports, but nothing quite like this. I, 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 uh, Ching King is inside right now. I tried to get an interview with him, but they said, nope, you can't do that. He's a live bear. He will literally rip your face off. Hey, you're making me look stupid. Get out here, panda jerk. Great story. Compelling and rich. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Bird watch! Yes, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode 213, everybody. Uh, show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash episodes slash ELL213. I am Brian McWilliams here on the scene reporting live about Twitter's malfeasance and the way that they handle censorship and their abdication of responsibility. But we'll get to that a little bit later as there's some other things we got to discuss first, namely... The Matthew Spasini program, guys. I have told you about Matthew's program before. Wanted to drop a little uh, little promo for him at the start of the show here. Matthew reached out to me, and I got uh, interested in his show because we are obviously in a period of financial turmoil. Now, it seems like things might be getting a little bit better as some of these states and cities decide that, oh, the lockdowns aren't working after all, coincidentally, right? Right after Joe Biden sworn in. But at the same time, Financial future is something you always need to be thinking about. And the Matthews Basidi program merges liberty with finance because Matthew's background is actually in financial planning and advisement. So he can help you out not only with your message of liberty, and lately he's been talking more about liberty, what's going on with censorship as a whole, and also, uh, of course, still get into the financial aspects. But he delivers a great liberty message I think you guys will enjoy. And also, he's been doing kind of a neat little reading thing where he goes in, he's pulling articles and reading them for you, kind of like a books on tape or a columns on tape, if you will, uh, which he dubs Liberty Informant. So check him out, Matthew Sposidi Program. It's anywhere you guys want to pull your podcast from. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, getting back into this. God, Joe Biden, right? Welcome, Joe Biden. The media could not have made a faster about face than they have, right? From one president to the next, as if it wasn't blatant enough. The absolute media bias that exists out in the wild, we now see not only Jim Acosta no longer working as the White House correspondent for CNN, right? Because I think that was an intentional move by CNN because it would look a little strange to have somebody that routinely was antagonistic, outright belligerent towards the president of the United States. Whether or not you liked him or not, he was still supposedly deserving of the utmost respect, right? Isn't that what everybody told us when Trump came into office? That the reason they hated him was because he's, he's not classy like Obama. I mean, he doesn't treat the office with any respect at all. Uh, this is the highest, the highest circumstances that any person could find themselves in. He needs to comport himself with the air of a king. And they couldn't stand that Trump wasn't that guy. Trump was very in-your-face, honest, in a, well, honest, I can't say honest. I'll say honest with his emotions, right? Or at least upfront in trying to bait and switch the media and trying to play the crowd, right? Something that they were not necessarily used to in this manner. Meanwhile, 
every president over the course of history has done this, let alone Obama as of, you know, eight, well, no, 12 years ago coming in. You don't think that he was also playing the crowd, right? Putting on this face, this facade of, oh, hell fellow well met. I just shoot basketballs. I have a smoke every now and then. You know, just the absolute facade of presidentialhood. And in the meantime, he's spying on Americans. He's murdering Americans abroad that are still children because they happen to be related to terrorists or people that we've deemed terrorists. But to see the media, right, let alone Jim Acosta, who screams at Trump, it was so antagonistic and combative, they had to pull him out of there. Because the media is in no way going to be going after Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden in this combative fashion now that it's one of their guys in office. Somebody that agrees to them philosophically as far as politics are concerned, somebody that they don't necessarily have a, a, a combative antagonistic relationship like with Donald Trump. You know, Joe Biden's not out there claiming anything's fake news because Joe Biden's brain doesn't work well enough to figure out what day it is, let alone what happens to be real or fake. He still imagines that there's leprechauns skipping down the street to give him the daily security briefings. That much I assure you. (laughs) In no way does Joe Biden know the difference between the SpongeBob SquarePants cartoon that he wakes up with as his nurse dabs at his dribble bib uh, and what's going on in the Middle East. It's all the same to him. It could be Mr. Krabs that, uh, that happened to, to blow up a factory in, in Yemen, or it could be a Saudi prince that happened to drop off some cookies on his doorstep. Joe Biden doesn't know. But the point is, the media will not go out of their way to call him out on virtually anything, whereas Trump was accused outright of being a liar. And you'll remember, you know, people will say, this is what aboutism. No, it's not. It's pointing out hypocrisy. You'll remember that a senator called Obama a liar in an outburst during a speech in which I believe he he actually was lying. And the media acted as though this man had crucified Christ himself. You guys remember that? I can't remember what the speech was or the state of address that they, or the state of the union it was. I can't remember what year. And I don't remember what senator. I'm not going to look it up either. But he just yelled out, you're a liar, or that's a lie. And you honestly would have thought JFK got shot again. Back and to the left. So, I should say it's not a surprise to see the welcome that Joe Biden has received from the press. So, so absolutely despicable that Glenn Greenwald, who I've greatly enjoyed, even though he got in a recent flap where people were accusing him of partaking in uh, cancel culture because he had called out some of these media persons. I think Will Wilkerson was at the New York Times. He called him out because Wilkerson admitted that he was crying watching Joe Biden get sworn in. People, if you find yourself in tears at any point over any politician, even Ron Paul, I'm not crying over Ron Paul. I'm not going to cry when he dies. I'm not going to cry. If somehow uh, the reincarnation of Rand Paul, Ron Paul came into office, I still would not cry. Because frankly, politicians do not represent me as a person. They are not uniquely tied into my emotional well-being. But we see with these progressives that they are so ego-tied, so like, you know, mind-meld, Vulcan-style, tied into these politicians and what they pretend to believe in that they cannot help themselves. So apparently the New York Times' Will Wilkerson had been crying during the inauguration. Glenn Greenwald called him out as this you know, being ridiculous, and he was fired. Now, is that cancel culture? I don't know. I would say, arguably, 
It's not. There's not a mob calling for the firing of this guy. They, you know, it was Glenn Greenwald pointing out that this is a bit of a ridiculous reaction from somebody that is pretending or uh, at least considering themselves on the surface level to be an unbiased journalist, as they would say, weeping, literally weeping over a president coming to office that he likes. So anyway, in another instance of this unbelievable bias, Glenn Greenwald had called out reliable sources and Brian Stetzer because they had cut to the Biden, you know, the new gal, uh, Jen Psaki, Psaki, and she's up there talking and again, spewing lies because that's what a press secretary does and has done through the course of human history when presidents are involved. And for anybody to deny that simple fact that they have a position in order to lie to you and that this pulpit that they have is purely a bullhorn for lies. Uh, if anybody doesn't realize that they're simply a moron, there's, there's no way around it. They're an ideologically blinded moron. So he calls out Brian Stelter on Monday because they had a Chiron running along the bottom of the screen that reads, Sasaki promises to share, quote, accurate info, unquote. And then CNN, a.k.a. Brian Stetzer, inserts in parentheses, how refreshing. There you go. Well, if you're a fan of math, you know, you add these things up where I just told you that anybody that didn't think that you're being lied to constantly by your government and namely by the press secretary is an ideologically blinded moron. And then you have Brian Stetzer saying how refreshing it is to not get or to get quote unquote accurate info from a press secretary. Ipso facto, Brian Stetzer is a moron. I'm shocked on a daily basis he has a job. But then again, I'm shocked that most journalists have jobs. So that was just one instance, but there are many more, right? During the inauguration itself, the unbelievable slurping. I know you guys are a fan of this, but the, <laughs> this unbelievable slurping of Biden dick that's going on here with such quotes as, <laughs> quote, as Lady Gaga sang the national anthem, the sky opened up and sunlight reflected off the Capitol, illuminating the flag. That was from the New Yorker. The New York Times wrote, quote, whether or not related to the former president's absence, a bipartisan lightness seemed to prevail across the stage at President Joe Biden's inauguration. Snow flurries gave way to sun. That's from, again, the New York Times. And then we have some other ones. Uh, oh, God, wait, there was one that was so good. I'm scrolling through this article. There was one that literally, oh, here we go. Here's another one. MSNBC uh, Heilerman said, quote, what was so striking to me about today was the sight of the Clintons and the Bushes and the Obamas, the Avengers, the Marvel superheroes back up there all together in one place. The Clintons, right, who put a generation of black men in jail and had put it for some of those Dukrakian. How's that for Freudian slip? The Clintons put Dukrakian drug laws. Uh, draconian. Uh, looks like I'm getting a little hungry for crack, huh? Don't tempt me. February's right around the corner. I was dry this whole month. Anyway, the Clintons who and their draconian uh, three-strike drug rules. Of course, Joe Biden, uh, quite a big applauder of that legislation, putting a generation of black people in jail, breaking up families, and really putting a lot of the black community where they are today, multi-generations later, because of that quote-unquote leadership. The Bushes... And, and, and let's not forget also, Bill Clinton got a nice blowjob from a, a woman uh, that was working for him, an intern in the office, quite famously. But, you know, he's he's clearly a superhero. The Bushes, right, 
two wars we didn't need to be in, lied into one of them, the second to follow up to finish the first, right? Completely disrupting a nation, leaving a quote-unquote power vacuum that was quickly filled by terrorists that we armed, and disenfranchising millions of people, murdering hundreds of thousands. Great. (laughs) Superheroes. And then the Obamas. Barack Obama, who, of course, led us into helping the Saudis cause a genocide in Yemen, should be in jail for war crimes. Barack Obama, who had the most unbelievably uh, magnificent domestic spying operation that the world has ever seen and lied about it to our faces. Barack Obama, who, of course, pushed through healthcare reform, which lost people tons of their, uh, their healthcare programs, lied to the Americans to their faces about keeping their doctor. Not only that, but let's not forget that Obama also drone bombed, as mentioned earlier, innocent American children, suspended the right of habeas corpus, kept Guantanamo Bay open. Uh, And also famously put into uh, legislation or attempted to put in legislation the broad term enemy combatant so that he could once again suspend habeas corpus for American citizens. Because if you're a combatant at home, then you can be black bag taken away in the night. Joe Biden learned from that. We're going to talk about that later. But these are the superheroes to the established media. You know, they're, they're the cathedral media. There was another one. Oh, well, let me listen. Oh, this is an, uh, uh, there was one where a guy was talking about opening up in the sunlight, you know, hugging people with sunlight or something insane like that. And I just can't find it right, right at the moment. But to see this media welcome this president, talk him up, just, just kiss his fucking ass in the first week shows you what we're in for. And Donald Trump did not have the same dynamic with the media that virtually every other president in the past 30 years has had before him. Namely, the cyclical exchange of media going to work for government and government going to work for media. I mean, you saw this play out as soon as Obama was out of office. You saw, you know, (laughs) Comey going on CNN to becoming the, you know, clappers on CNN. John Brennan is out there as a paid you know, commenter on CNN and all these other places, Max Boot, all these people rotated and out of government. So they have a very cozy relationship. It's not in their best interest to rock the boat. It's in their best interest to basically kowtow to the state, to keep on sucking that cock and to make sure that they have their bed made for them, whether or not they get fired from their media job or want to leave that to go into government or vice versa. So there was a rotating door. So nobody's going to outwardly challenge very much coming from that establishment media. We're seeing a return to form. So these media know everything's gone back to normal. We successfully ousted the monster that we spent four years demonizing and of course, glossing over any anomalies that might've happened from the election. And now we can get back to our simple trade, wherein we always have a place that we're going to be paid gobs of money as long as we tow the state-sponsored line. So naturally, Joe Biden is being welcomed. Now, Joe Biden is coming in, and I, I don't worry, I'm going to get to Birdwatch soon. I'm building up to Birdwatch. But Joe Biden's coming in, right? And he says immediately, I'm going to do all that. I'm going to take all these, all these executive actions. Come on, man. We're going to go do it. We're going to put executive actions out there. We're going to make a difference. So in his second week, he's just signing all these executive orders, right? Some of them are, are uh, taking back some of what Trump did. Like, for example, I think he's trying to take back some of the Title IX stuff. One of the executive orders was to allow transgenders back in the military. <laughs> and let me tell you, I have an issue with that. 
not because I'd give a shit about transgenders in the military, but because I give a shit about transgenders joining the military and then demanding that the military pays for them to have transgender surgeries, which by the way, the media, the military will pay for because it's considered a necessary operation because of the mental health. You'll have doctors say that this is a requirement. So basically, if you want to get a sex change or you're transgender and want to, you know, do whatever to your body, join the military. (laughs) There you go. Free sex change. So he wrote an executive order rolling that back. He also uh, basically doubled down on another Trump example of executive order, which is Buy American, basically pledging to make a $400 billion investment in federal purchases made by American workers. There's one actually that I like in here. It's uh, basically reinstating restrictions on what military equipment can be given to local police departments. So that's a good one. There's, There's one. It's about the only one. He also gets into trying to get more uh, infrastructure built for housing, you know, allocating money to build federal housing. Uh, one of the things he's trying to do is try to put forward executive orders that would basically limit deportations. I think this has already been struck down, by the way. I think a Texas judge already uh, struck down the executive order and said that they can't be pushed forward at the moment until there's a hearing because Texas's attorney general uh, had objected to suspending this whatever policy it was. So anyway, long story short, he's already signed 21 of them. I'm not going to run through all these executive orders, executive actions, but it's more than any other president in history. (laughs) So he's basically, as Obama did, taking his dictate as I have a pen and I'm just going to do what I want and I'm not going to listen to anybody no matter what, Uh, which is, you know, a very egomaniacal way to rule. Clearly not in line with the unity message that Joe Biden and all the media had been parroting this entire time because, you know, Donald Trump was such a divider rather than the fact that constantly we were being told that Donald Trump is the second coming of the Antichrist. So it's interesting to see what's going to roll out here as he finishes up and how many are going to be challenged, but he is wasting no time, probably because he knows he's going to die soon. And let's be honest, there was that whole flap about Joe Biden riding a Peloton, right? And Pelotons have cameras in them. So I guess you could turn on your camera if you want somebody to see you working out. I, I don't know. I don't know who wants to be seen pedaling on a bike and huffing and puffing and blowing sweat off their nose. But I guess you could hack into this camera because they are Wi-Fi enabled, obviously, and spy on Joe Biden. <laughs> Why would anybody want to? But I thought it was kind of funny. And I, I made a Twitter joke. I said, oh, is this so people can, uh, you know, they don't want to have Peloton cameras be accessible because they don't want to see a second president die on camera. The first, of course, being JFK. But I'm bum. Dark humor, folks. Dark humor. But clearly, Joe Biden, probably not long to live. Okay, moving on. So that's a little bit of the early Biden stuff. And I want to get, I'll circle back to Biden a little bit later because I want to talk about this domestic uh, extremism. But before I do that, let's talk a little bit about COVID. And this will take us into Birdwatch, the main theme of the episode. So there's some good and some bad, right? We're seeing, as of now, nations, not the United States, of course, because we have, I don't know, way too much to lose, too too much privilege, too much stupidity in this country. We're already too fear, comprised of uh, too much fear and anger to uh, to move a muscle, I guess, even though other countries are doing it. But 50,000 Italian restaurant owners plan to ignore the lockdown. This is something that I had advocated for here at home, which is basically just don't accept the government mandates. I mean, mass disobedience. What are they going to do? 
If every restaurant, if every business just said, no, fuck off, I'm going to open up. Why wouldn't you? Why? I mean, you need people to come together in solidarity, but all of these businesses here in the U.S., maybe because they, they're throwing these loans at them, but all these businesses are just taking it on the chin. You've already seen something like 60% of small restaurants are being forced to close. If you drive down any main street, I'll tell you Abbott Kinney, which is a main through fare for retail down by Venice Beach here in Los Angeles, half the stores are empty. You know what aren't empty? Oh, the big retailers, because they can afford it. Just like I was talking with Joe Biden's idiotic plan to introduce $15 minimum wage, well, basically that's going to be a job killer too, so you're doubling down. But it's interesting timing. You know, there's so much that's interesting timing. And, uh, and I'll give J.D. Holton, who's uh, a guy I know from out here in Los Angeles who is uh, very involved in the Mises Caucus, he had you know, pointed out that coincidentally, if you look at this, it's the perfect time for politicians to introduce a $15 minimum wage because we know it's a job killer. We know it's going to introduce robots and automated workers. There's already, I, I gave examples last show about, you know, people that are going to have robots folding garments. There's already pizza making robots. There's already all sorts of technology coming through robotic technology. that's going to replace people. And this is the perfect way to do it. But JD pointed out, you know, on my, uh, on my Facebook page, when I posted about this, this minimum wage bill he is you can obscure the actual impact of that $15 wage bill, a, a, you know, AKA the negative impacts of it by reopening at the same time and then say that unemployment decreased when they introduced the regional minimum wage or the federal minimum wage. That is devious and just might be exactly what they're doing. Because it's true. You'll get a net zero because people will see the rising employment numbers from reopening and ignore the fact that they would have had a massive amount, a you know, an employment jump of 50% overnight by reopening, where now it's going to be an employment jump of 20% because the other 40, you know, 40% are going to lose their jobs to this minimum wage hike. Very interesting approach. And I uh, give JD credit for uh, 4D Trump chessing us there. But, you know, that very might, well might be the case. But, you know, we're seeing these Italian restaurant owners push back. You're also seeing riots in the Netherlands right now. And I can't say I approve them because these people are going out kind of Black Lives Matter style and wrecking shit, breaking windows, destroying private property, burning cars, which is not necessary. Sorry. How does it help to break someone's store window and to burn it down when it's closed because of COVID lockdowns? Fucking idiots. However, the sentiment of it, I can agree with. And it's sad that we have not seen it here, but they're saying they're on the brink of a civil war, you know? Now, <laughs> we're seeing other sides of this coin, though. Well, we've got people in Italy standing up for themselves, people in the Netherlands rioting to stand up for themselves. You have examples of the UK population, wherein some 65%, I think, of the people, or 70% of the people there, when polled, said that they were in support of lockdowns to this day. All that I can think is that their media is even further up the government's ass than ours is here, and they're not finding alternative sources. I mean, I'm shocked by that, because there's still no evidence whatsoever in a decline in COVID-19 in England. They're in their third lockdown. Three lockdowns and not, not, you know, and these are severe lockdowns, three lockdowns, no drops, no rate of decline, new variants. At some point, you have to say this is enough. We can't take anymore. We have to get out. We're seeing suicide rates jump, but we're seeing teen suicide rates skyrocket. 
I mean, this hasn't stopped the New Jersey Teachers Union from insisting that it might be, get this, a year before they go back to school. A year before in-person schools. Even though the rates in which infection is spread is something like, for children, it's 0.1%, and for teachers, 0.2%. 0.1% and 0.2%. And these fucking greedy, garbage unionists are holding parents, holding states, holding everyone hostage. And why are they able to do this? Oh, because they have so much power with their voter block and their voter base that they're able to put people in power like the mayor of this city in New Jersey. And I, th- I think it was um, Montclair, New Jersey. The mayor of Montclair, New Jersey, oh, just happens to be second up. He's the second uh, highest ranking person in the, in the teachers union. What a coincidence. How do you like them apples? Same thing in Chicago. It's just, it is despicable for people that were constantly being told we need to kowtow to, that we need to praise, we have to heap on these people sacrificing their time. Never mind that they get paid just a perfectly fine amount. Never mind that they get three months off and can voluntarily make more money during that time, and a lot of teachers do. Never mind that they have an unbelievable pension, that they have unbelievable health care for their entire families that's paid for. Never mind that they have more vacation days on top of the three months they have off in the summertime. They get all the the extra federal holidays. They get all the spring breaks. They get everything in the world given to them. And yet we're supposed to say, oh, thank you, teachers. Thank you so much for doing a job that you chose to do and you're amply paid for. And now these people are telling us that the kids have to stay home and that they're not going to go back until they're good and ready, despite the fact that there's a point two percent chance that they could get a virus. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely sickening. I hope hope people wake up to the, just what unions are and what they do by seeing this play out. Now let's talk about something else uh, on the same COVID kick, which is government obfuscation of data. Because some places are sharing data. I think Florida is actually, <laughs> despite what the media might tell you about DeSantis, Florida is actually on the forefront of data sharing. They, they've been rated by all these different independent processors and independent assessors, and their data sharing and transparency is like number one. Compare that to California, where Gavin Uberfuhrer, I'm Nancy Pelosi's nephew, true, by the way, Gavin Newsom, has been just randomly deciding what to open, what to close. He recently made spas close again because there's a big uptick in coronavirus uh, transmission. Meanwhile, we've been locked down for months. Basically, we've been locked down for 10 months in various ways, from more severe to slightly less severe, back to more severe. You had outdoor dining for a couple months. There was literally zero scientific proof that there's any transmission outdoors in any fashion. And this was backed up in a court case wherein the government could not back up their statement that there was transmission to a judge who threw the case out and said, no, there's no reason you can enforce this. Meanwhile, I'm looking around. There's still a bunch of pussy ass restaurant owners that have done nothing. They haven't banded together like Italy, even though they have this mandate that says California cannot enforce this, not from a legal perspective. You also have, and oh, and by the way, in case you didn't know, the reasoning, they, they admitted to the judge said, well, yeah, we can't scientifically show that transmission happens outdoors. We just want people to stay home. Cool. So you're just making up the fact that you believe that science is involved in this. You're just literally making up reasonings and trying to scare the populace by lying to us about transmission rates outdoors just so we'll stay home. Adorable. 
But Gavin Newsom now has said that they're not going to release data and his health, you know, the leader of his health, I think her name's Burks or something. So they now have said that they're not going to release the public data to justify their locking everybody down. Because if they did, the public would be confused by it. Now, if that doesn't sum up progressive leadership especially, but I'd say broader government leadership as a whole, then I can't give you any other better example. Especially on the progressive side, they know what is best for you. You don't know anything, right? You're just a dumb caveman living in a living in a shallow mud hut, maybe painting a few boars on the walls, but you don't know what's best for you. You'd be eating your own feces if not for the Democrats to come down on high and show you how to use a knife and a fork and set up some farms, maybe have some fish, nice piece of sushi out there. And Gavin Newsom takes this to the next extreme by obfuscating what the data actually says, because we, the imbeciles who pay the highest taxes in the country, we, the morons, right, who apparently 70% of the people, my neighbors out here, the imbeciles that live around me, voted him into office. I guess they can't be that smart, but we're not capable of figuring it out, right? We're not capable of figuring it out. We're not capable of looking at anybody else to tell us what the data could mean. And it could scare us into thinking something like, maybe that this was all bullshit. Now, of course, we're seeing all these other cities open up. I mentioned New York City, Chicago, obviously California as a whole has decided they are now going to open up once more. Why? Well, several reasons. The timing is, of course, quite coincidental. That all these places locked down, that the economy is tanked while Trump is in office, and of course, who had ran on economic strength. And now they decided that, as per Andrew Cuomo, well, we just can't stay locked down forever. Same thing with Chicago, same thing in California. We can't stay locked down forever. But also quite coincidentally, the World Health Organization came out and admitted that high-cycle PCR tests, a.k.a. the tests most commonly used, most commonly available throughout the United States, oh yeah, they are giving a buttload of false positives. Now, this is something that I've known for months, something that I've talked about for months. But it's something that you could not readily see on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. Google probably wouldn't allow you to search that very easily either. All the social media platforms have conspired to tell us that any questioning of the tests was a bannable offense, right? And that if you posted a story from a third-party news source, because you're never going to get this from the straight-on establishment cathedral media, but if you posted a story, well-researched, well-documented, pertaining to straight facts, Facebook would flag it and tell you, well, this is false. Or they'd remove it and give you a nice little notification. We've got several of them on a daily basis in our Lions of Liberty uh, Facebook group. The Lions of Liberty Forum, you can join it. But we'd get flagged, oh, misinformation, inaccurate information. If you keep allowing this type of nonsensical disinformation to propagate on your platform, we'll have to remove your page and ban you. And yet, here's the World Health Organization telling us the things we already knew but we were not allowed to share by virtue of the big tech, big government censorship collaboration. And now Twitter's invited us to take part in a brand new form of censorship called Birdwatch. You gotta love a good watch. 
But before I tell you about Birdwatch and my thoughts on it, let me first tell you about our awesome sponsor, Zippix Toothpicks. I am chewing one right now. Actually, I'm chewing the mocha flavored. But these toothpicks are nicotine infused. They are made in a vacuum. They are FDA registered by a company that's been doing this for a long time. And I got to tell you, they're awesome. Whether it's something where you're giving up smoking for your New Year's resolution, whether you just want to try to give it up because it's better for your health, maybe you're just tired of paying for expensive cigarette packs, especially if you live here in California or New York City or really anywhere where they're taxing you, the sin tax to try to get you to stop using a product which you're just using and enjoying the, the privacy of your own home, perhaps, or a cab or in your trucker compartment, whatever it might be. Point being... Zippix toothpicks give you that hand-to-mouth feel. They have that good nicotine buzz, helps you, you know, kind of get off that that craving sensation if you are indeed a big smoker or vapor. I've got a friend who actually has literally gotten off vaping since I introduced him to these very products. I'm not saying that is a guarantee for everybody. I'm saying he was able to. I love them. They're a good party favor as well. Whenever I've had people over, and yes, I'm having people over somewhat often. Whenever people are over, Great little thing to give people when they're drinking. Gives you that little buzz. Highly recommend them, guys. So check them out. They come in about eight different awesome flavors. You can get renewable uh, packets sent to your door regular basis. And best of all, use promo code LION to get 10% off your first order. So check that out again. Zippix Toothpicks. Z-I-P-P-I-X Toothpicks.com. Use that promo code LION. <laughs> Do that coming in and out of everything from now on. We're no longer the Lions of Liberty here. We are the bird watchers of Bibbity. Bibbity Bobbity Boop. That's the new name of the show. Um, bird watch, guys. You know, this is one of those things where on the surface, right, you look at what Twitter's doing. Twitter that has been Nazi-like in their application of a ideological regime, handing down bans, checking you for your papers, demanding that you only use certain phrases, demanding that you not use other phrases, and of course, purging themselves, sending you off to the gulags or the showers should you dare to cross the imaginary line which they continuously move. They've decided that instead of handing down these bans for what seems like random reasons by a group of administrators that are left-leaning, if uh, to put it gently, They've decided that they're going to choose a new platform called Birdwatch. And you can volunteer to be a bird watcher. And all that really means is that you're going to be reporting and adding content and, as they say, framing the issue or adding additional information to somebody's post. Now, I don't know if all of these comments are going to be visible right away. I'm reading the Birdwatch site where they say that initially they're going to be reported only on the Birdwatch subsite, which you can find and, I guess, interact with if you volunteer for the program and see how it works. But essentially, all it is is subtweeting with facts, right? Pointing out what's accurate or not. And then I guess Twitter is going to use this to culminate a, a database and then roll it out at large. Now, how this exactly helps, I don't know. They're not necessarily saying they're going to delete your tweet. They're not saying that they're going to ban you. But what's the end game then if that's not going to be the case? Is it going to be automatically fact check you in real time like Facebook does? Are they going to be providing instantaneous feedback from quote unquote authorized sources? Because they say they're looking for the everyday user as well as analysts and researchers and yada, 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 yada. The goal for a Twitter is to avoid having a rule-by-majority type system like they have now, basically where all these people get reported 
over and over and over again and flag and then Twitter bans them because the pretty much progressive mob has decided they have to cancel them. They want to try to avoid that. The problem is when we look to sites like Wikipedia, which this is modeled after, right? Crowdsourcing the information, you have the perfect example for what inevitably happens with this type of thing. Activists on both sides tend to dominate the conversation. On Wikipedia, I would say is pretty much dominated by progressives still to this day. If you go and read articles, anything that is in even the slightest way attacking a Democratic candidate typically gets removed pretty quickly. At the same time, you know what doesn't get removed? Pro-war content. And there's an editor, I was reading a story about an editor, I think, on Caitlin Johnston's uh, uh, Substack. She's uh, you're very good on issues of privacy, censorship, et cetera, even though she's virtually socialist. But this guy has gotten to the status point where anything that's anti-war, anything that's fighting back against the war state, this guy edits out. So you have still ultra-powerful administrators that go in that have more emphasis and more power than anybody else in the system that still go in and edit out the content that they don't like. So they're still pushing an agenda. Now, to me, all this does is enable them to continuously censor, except put it behind this veneer of, oh, no, no, it's being crowdsourced, right? This allows them to abdicate the responsibility for censoring it, instead letting the armies of wokeism come at you like the armies of mortar pouring out from behind the mountain. But Twitter gets to pretend that they're doing the right thing. They get to say, look, this isn't us. This is the people. This is crowdsourced. We have no control over it. We're just trying to get the most accurate picture. We're helping to have people cross-check it and give different opinions and find out where the truth really is. But as we know in 2021, as we've seen over the last five years or so, Truth is the most subjective thing at all. There seems to be no more objective reality to people anymore because their brains have been so warped and twisted by the worldviews portrayed by the media, by the online echo chambers they find themselves in, that I don't see how this is possibly going to succeed. Maybe I'm wrong, but to me, it still seems like this is just a smokescreen to allow Twitter to keep on with the exact same practices that they've had before, except obfuscated behind this shimmering veil of crowdsourced truth-telling magic. Now, again, it's interesting that they're coming out with all these new mechanisms, right, that they want to now help free speech. They don't want to censor as much right after Joe Biden is elected. They didn't have a problem with it before that. They didn't have a problem censoring all of this sensitive information from the public. Obviously, they closed down any discussion about COVID as a whole. But now that Joe Biden's in there, now... We're seeing, let's have everybody talk. Let's just have it, you know, let's just have the crowd get involved and fact check a little bit. You know, it's also interesting too, that after this comes out, after we've been told that Joe Biden's going to cure it, after we've been told that Trump's vaccination rollout was atrocious, that Trump was to blame for the 400,000 lives. Now you also have Joe Biden coming out and saying that there's nothing we can do about the trajectory of the coronavirus. Now, <laughs> if you had dared to say this, to argue against it, to argue that, in fact, the trajectory was always going to be the trajectory, you would, of course, been banned and censored before. But now, even Joe Biden, the president, can say it after promising the opposite. There's also the empirical data rolling out 
As to the consequences of the lockdowns, which you're also not allowed to challenge whether or not lockdown should be legal or not. I think famously in the UK, they threatened to put people in jail. And uh, was it Australia? I think a woman was arrested in her home because she dared to post on social media that she was not going to be obeying the lockdowns. But now you have empirical data coming out showing that we have the greatest rise in inequality ever over the last six months. The sharpest rise in U.S. poverty in half a century over the past six months because of these lockdowns. Now, I told you on previous episodes, the poverty rate hasn't moved in about a half a century. No matter how much money we spend throwing at it, it did nothing to move the poverty line because the poverty line isn't just based, like most things, isn't just based to throwing money upon a problem. It goes a lot into culture. It goes into opportunity. It goes into business creation. It goes into job opportunities. It goes into the prison system coming out. You know How many people are being separated from their families? How many people are able to work as opposed to having to stay home? A lot goes into this, into what causes basic poverty. However, I can tell you what's definitely going to help locking people down and eliminating the basic low-wage jobs, which keeps a lot of these people employed. The low-level entry, don't need much education, don't need a high level of skill, those jobs were eliminated. Your restaurants, your basic mills, your retail operations, unless they were deemed quote-unquote essential, they were shut down. That's a lot of mom-and-pop shops, but a lot of large retailers as well either cut down on staff or were forced to spread them out or do certain hours, selective times where people could come in, limit the amount of people coming into a store to 20%. Of course, you're not going to have as many staffers during that time. So no shit there's going to be a massive rise in inequality. This harkens back to what I was saying in the Liberty Reboot and the messaging that libertarians have to adopt, wherein we have to take ownership of fighting back against crony capitalism because the companies that came out of this unscathed are Amazon, our Target, our Walmart, our Google, or all these other places that have massive amount of cash reserves, that have massive stock reserves. They can weather this storm. And the government decided, oh, you're essential. You can stay open anyway. So great. Mom and pop goes out of work. People are going hungry. Now they're dependent on the government to send them their unemployment check and their stimulus, crying, crying out for a little bit of milk from that government teat as Amazon explodes and doubles in size over the past year because they are the suppliers of everything when nobody can get open to, to have basic people come in and just buy little doodads, nicks and knacks that they might need. Anything you want to get for a gift, any item of clothing, typically you're going to get from Amazon now. Maybe your mall's open by you. My malls were closed for the most part. I think they had just opened about two months ago. I could go into Macy's again. So we're seeing that cronyism. And as I stated, the cause for the gap, you know, they always talk about the gap in equality, the wages, you know, the highest wage earners and the lowest wage earners in America keeps getting bigger and bigger. That is the fault of government. That is the fault of cronyism, of regulations, and a government stifling the ability to create new jobs by virtue of small businesses opening up and giving low-level employees wages suited to where they are at skill level wise, not forcing them to pay $15 an hour. Well, of course that would, I got, you know, kind of like JD Holton was saying earlier, if we open it up now, everybody will say, yay, let's go back to work, but $15 an hour. So we'll see how much uh, actual employment we get out of it. Ah, man, I'm telling you, I, (laughs) I am having trouble keeping my damn train of thought now because I started recording, then got interrupted because 
you know, I was trying to get this, this thing done before my, my little baby girl, my one-year-old came home because otherwise what happens is this, I get on a roll and then I kind of jump in and jump out and it's hard to get it back. And especially after I'm like, now I'm tired. I ate dinner up with her. She refused to go to bed for a while. Now I'm like, God damn it. Trying to keep myself focused here to finish this episode. So apologies if I'm a little, little off right now. All right, let's just move on. Um, let's talk a little bit about violent extremism on the domestic front. Because that's one of the scariest things that I've heard bandied about in a while. Even more scary than Obama's enemy combatant language that I discussed earlier in the show. You know, Joe Biden's talking about how we have to have a bill to fight domestic violent extremism. And of course, John Brennan, noted shill, noted CIA uh, murder monkey, <laughs> He, of course, comes out and starts listing off the ideologies, religious extremists, native extremists, you know, militias, and of course, dot, 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 even libertarians. You know, he threw a wide net that is virtually all-encompassing. And you've had some pushback. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard lately, she's been very good on the topics libertarians care about. Yeah, I know she's got socialist views when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to the environment. But I will give her credit where it's due. She has been pushing back at all the right things. Now, unfortunately, she's also leaving her position. She's starting a podcast instead. Great. Thanks, Tulsi. We have enough podcasts. But still, she is on point when she talks about just how dangerous this is. You know, I mean, she said this. Here's a quote from her. When you have people like former CIA director John Brennan openly talking about how he's spoken with or heard from appointees and nominees in the Biden administration who are already starting to look across our country for these types of movements similar to the insurgencies they've seen overseas that in his words, he says, make up this unholy alliance of religious extremists, racists, bigots. He lists a few others and at the end, even libertarians. Yeah. What characteristics are we looking for as we're building this profile of a potential extremist? What are we talking about? Religious extremists? Are we talking about Christians? Evangelical Christians? Is it, is, what is a religious extremist? Is it somebody who's pro-life? Where do you take this? And that's exactly right. When you have a progressive leadership in place looking to find who would be considered extremists, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line on who's being spied upon? You know, we already passed through again the uh, USA Freedom Act, the, the NDAA. All these things got re-upped because we have the Republicans and the Democrats united in their contempt for the American people with very few exceptions. So where do you take this? If it's all about control and power, well, if they both want power, they're not going to object too much to specific language, maybe the religious part of things. But still, are you going to say accept Christians? Because if you're trying to find extremists, well, I'm sure there's Christian extremists out there, so you have to include them. You can't say that libertarians just want to live free because, hey, look at all the militias. We found some libertarians that stormed the Capitol. I'm sure there was at least one in there, right? So where do you draw the line? This enemy combatant taken to the utmost extent as far as who will be spied upon, who will be limited in what they can do. I mean, it all ties in to the, the concept that I was talking about earlier, the social credit, because they're going to be monitoring your social media. They're monitoring all of your email communications, et cetera, to limit what you can do, where you can go, who you can bank with. And now they're going to come after your basic freedom and probably throw you in jail. And Let's not forget that all, no, not, I can't say all over the past year with, with BLM and all the other crazy crap that's happened, like the, uh, what was it, in Austin or Nashville, uh, some guy blew up an RV and didn't hurt anybody. But they'll point to mass shooting events, which there are still, by the way, 
very, very infrequent. Your odds of dying in a mass shooting are less than being attacked by a shark. But they'll say that because we have all these instances of domestic extremism, we need this. But let's not forget, too, that we had a general testify to the Senate committee that all of the spying apparatus, right, all that giant specter-like ent- you know, uh, entity that Obama had put into place to spy on the American people, all of the data collection they did, all of the hops that the FBI could have, all of the reading of emails and the monitoring of text messages, all of that netted a big fat zero when it came to actually stopping domestic terrorists or foreign terrorist threats to the United States. And what they did stop, what the FBI did bust, was th- was instances where people were basically trapped by the FBI into committing these acts, where the FBI sees somebody that looks a little vulnerable and then says, okay, go after that guy. Let's see if we can get him to do something. And then, oh, they stop it. Meanwhile, we don't know how much they had to do with it. We don't know if this guy was just a ride along. It could have been the FBI that built the bombs, drove it out there, had the van, and then said, hey, come here, we're going to do this thing. And then they blame the whole thing on him. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievably dangerous. It's unbelievably terrifying. And we're walking headfirst with the uh, mass approval, I guarantee you, of virtually the entire progressive world to battle these extremists without realizing that that will be turned on them. Just like any government apparatus, these people never seem to learn, right? If you if you get rid of the filibuster, it's going to come back and haunt you. If you lower the threshold for what you need as far as a vote to put something through in Congress, it's going to come back to hurt you because it always is going to flip-flop. Now, maybe... You could argue that the Democrats are going to completely stay in power because of some bill that they just tried to push through. And I think is currently, I'm not sure where it is exactly, but I read about this bill. But basically the bill says that they don't have to show you, you know, the specifics of the voter rolls. It's in a nutshell, trying to make it so that voter fraud is almost impossible to detect, right? So I guess maybe that would lead us to a, uh, a Democratic majority in every single election from here on out. But Let's pretend that we do live in some sort of democracy where there are still standards and some honesty in it. But the point being, anytime you have a power play like this, let's say now they're going to target religious extremists and uh, and conservative right-wing extremists and libertarians, right? That's with the current regime. Well, flip that over the other side. Now they can go after the BLM activists. Now they can go after progressives that are trying to rein in the war state. Maybe Jimmy Dore is an extremist, right? Even though he's progressive, he's great on the Trump-Russia stuff. Well, but maybe he's a little bit, a little too anti-war. Maybe he's a little dangerous, right? Some of what he's saying can be misinterpreted. Maybe that could really rile some people up. Especially when you look at the level that they're using as far as what is inciting a riot. They're saying that Donald Trump's speech, which he encouraged peaceful protests, literally in the speech, he said, don't be violent. They're saying that that was inciting the Capitol Hill storming, even though it happened, I think, before he even made his remarks. That's the level we're dealing with. So if that's the standard we're setting, where that that can literally be taken and saying that you're inciting violence, that's basically anybody. That's I've said a million things on this very podcast that could probably fall into inciting people to anger or to violence if that's the threshold that you're using. There's absolute madness. Okay, let's move on. Um, oh, one last thing, too, about the uh, the Capitol Hill protesters. To reiterate just how big tech and big government are working together, how these companies are not private and we should not defend them anymore, Facebook gave 
the FBI private Facebook messages from the Capitol Hill protesters. Just hand it right over. They are working with the government. They are a government entity. They they get ample funds from them. They work hand in hand with law enforcement. They have no allegiance to you. They have no no intention of keeping their you know the privacy promises that they make to you when you join and sign their license agreement. No, they turn them over in a second. They are working together. Okay, uh, wrapping this thing up. Let's talk real quick about uh, Biden stepping into a debt fight on Capitol Hill. I thought this is, I mean, I literally laughed out loud when I was reading this because there's an article on the Hill <laughs> titled Biden Steps in a Debt Fight on Capitol Hill, wherein, get this, wherein Janet Yellen is saying that she is going to be helping to rein in the debt. Now, listen to this quote. Neither Biden nor I propose this relief package without an appreciation for the country's debt burden. But right now, with interest rates at historic lows, the smartest thing we can do is act big. Oh, (laughs) in the long run, I believe the benefits will far outweigh the costs, especially if we care about helping people who have been struggling for a very long time. Okay, so you are appreciating the country's debt burden but yet also going to spend another $1.9 trillion to send people checks that don't even amount to a single month of income for most of them. After shutting down the country for 10 months, after party pushing through, was it $4 trillion or more at this point of stimulus money, which has basically done absolutely nothing, you are now saying that you have an appreciation for the country's debt burden, and that acting big is the smartest thing that she and crazy old Joe could do. I just, I don't understand how anybody can buy this shit. I mean, my God, am I I watching Karate Kid or Cobra Kai where the best defense is more offense? Is that what they're telling us? The best thing now And the best thing for the long run is to act big. No, no. The worst thing to do is to act big. It's all it is, is putting more money into the big government cronyist pockets. All it is, is keeping people out of jobs as you continuously lock down and then spend more to bankrupt the country's future. To make everything more expensive down the line, I mean, we've already got inflation. You're already seeing price increases across the board as supply lines are short. If, God forbid, you get hyperinflation from all this money coming into the system and it's being spent, it's not like they're putting it into banks where it's just sitting there. They're putting it out into people's hands. It's being spent. It is diluting all of the money and all the buying power within the United States. I mean, honestly, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but half of me in the back of my mind says, you know what? This is their way of competing with China. China's coming out. China actually had a good growth, right? China's still exporting. China's still, economy's still doing well despite COVID because they did not shut down. They shut down for like a month and then went right back to working. So the United States, which accuses China of currency manipulation, now is saying, okay, here's how we can compete. 
We're going to do this stimulus, right? We're going to shut the whole nation down. That'll give us an excuse to send out these checks, these trillions of dollars in checks and bailout money. So we're going to spend $6 trillion. That's going to deflate or inflate our currency to the point where now the exchange rate is cheap enough that our products can compete with China on the open market. We're just going to really, really fuck that currency up, right? We're going to manipulate that by pumping so much money into the goddamn system that it's going to make our products cheap again because the exchange rate is going to be just nice. Am I crazy for thinking that? I don't think so. But I thought it was adorable that she addressed the fact that there was debt. And the last thing, uh, just to wrap it on up here, random story. Uh, Indian court ruled that groping without removing clothes is not sexual assault. So there you go. That's your tip of the week. If you're a groper, go to India because the state and the courts have said that groping somebody over their clothes is not sexual assault. How's that for an app violation? How's that? Does that sum up government enough for everybody that the government has decided that somebody uninvited grabbing you, fondling you, as long as you have a thin piece of cloth over whatever dainty bits you might be packing, that is not sexual assault. Hmm. God bless governments, right? The same governments that look the other way when gang rapes happen to women if they happen to have an affair out of wedlock. God bless government, right, guys? What can it do? All right, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, blah, blah. That's what I say to that show. Hopefully, it sounds better tomorrow to you guys than it did to me. I will say I'm nonplussed by it. Like I said, I lost my goddamn train of thought, and I just could not seem to rein it back in pisses me off but all the same thank you for listening guys remember monday's flagship lions liberty show dave smith eric uh, senator eric brakey just had a great debate on there uh listen to that fantastic show and also welcome to all of you new listeners hope you're uh, enjoying the content here at lions liberty always listen to the new finding freedom with john odomat on fridays and of course i am here every wednesday slapping you upside the head with some current events some comedy and some uh lost trains of thought just a train crashing into the station, skidding off the end of the platform and crushing several school children and a nun below. That's what this show turned out to be. All right, guys, that's going to do it. So for me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty.